right on. Hey, everyone. I'm JR. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. Whoa. And I'm Molly. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Throwing it down. Getting a little weird with it. Um, uh, I'm screwing up the intro now because you had sent me the text that I read last week, and it was I thought it was really good, but I hadn't memorized it yet. So anyway, this is uh, this is your first time joining us. Molly and I are, we have four kids, and uh, ages 12, 8, 12, 10, 10, almost 11, 8, and 6, and this is our little way of just inviting you into our space and uh, living life a little bit. It's not a safe space. It's definitely not a safe space. (laughs) No. Molly frequently yells at me before and after the show about something I screwed up on. Just after. Not before. And it's not about the show. It's like, why did we do this? Why are we up so late right now? <laughs> we, here we, we are starting off on a really weird basis. So if this is your first time joining us, this might be your last because you have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Well, we don't either, which is why if you look down into the show notes, I have a time-stamped roadmap of the show. And obviously the title of the episode will clue you in on what we are talking about today. So yeah, we don't plan our shows. Um... We don't uh, sit down and come up with topics we're going to talk about a lot of times. Um, Molly and I, you know, we just, we sometimes we save stuff up for the week. Sometimes we don't. Um, we, on account of the four kids thing and just life being modern Americans, we don't have a lot of time to sit down and talk. So even if we want to pre-discuss things, we usually don't have time unless we're on a road trip. And we haven't taken a road trip for a couple of weeks. So we are home for a month, a month and a half. Well, I am. Anyway, I'm going to start off by telling you all about a new recipe that I found that I am absolutely loving. And the recipe is for breakfast sausage bites. And there's a backstory to it. And the backstory is I am 43 years old and for about a year, year and a half have been all of a sudden having midlife metabolism and (laughs) I am on Instagram a lot. Uh, Not as much now as I used to be because I try not to be on Instagram except for checking for messages during the week instead of binge scrolling, which I'm letting myself do guilt-free on weekends because I'm not doing it during the week. But I've, I've seen a lot of information about And for anybody much... listening, that turns me on a little bit. I like seeing my wife super productive in the kitchen. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> Sorry, much, literally, it's pretty much just bad in the joke. kitchen. Actually, the rest of the house I was, is a disaster. I was, I was, this is a little bit of a ratchet, but I was, remar- I was m- not marveling. Um, I was contemplating today... Um, I think I had Titus, before we left for church tonight, I had Titus empty the dishwasher or something, and he said, oh, this is the second time I've run it today. Or I was reminded of that. Maybe that was yesterday. And, uh, oh, it was yesterday, because I went to go load the dishwasher, and it was already running. He said, oh, this is the second time I've run this thing today. And I just, I got to contemplating how much of our time and energy is spent in the kitchen making food. And then cleaning um, it up. It's so funny, because food is so important. It's so much of a necessity, and we spend so much time doing that that it's like I mean it's definitely something of a lifestyle but like I was thinking about all your preserves all that stuff and it's easy to um, 
like it's easy to cook for yourself, make stuff. But as I was building, working on the shop today with my dad, we have this, he, he rented an off-road lift to get up to the gables. And I'm like, man, combines, harvesting equipment, building houses. Like we have so much modern machinery that makes acquiring the raw materials to make food very easy. Yeah. The making food is easier, but if we didn't have all that machinery... Uh, yeah, it'd be really hard. Yeah. Like once again, random mental. Yes, no. Once again, lo- I'm going the to tonight. refer you back to the Laura Ingalls Wilder series. Exactly. <laughs> Where somebody came through. I feel like this was when they were in maybe in Wisconsin. I can't remember. Maybe Little House in the Big Woods. But they get a harvest of wheat. And then some guy comes through with this newfangled fancy threshing machine, which is, if I recall correctly, it took several men to run it and two horses walking in a circle all day, driving a turbine that then they would feed the wheat into and it would thresh the wheat for them. And it just was a fraction, but it he had to spend a lot of money renting it. And then again, like I said... Yeah. It was this huge thing. They had to have a whole clearing to do it. And two horses walked in a circle driving the thing the entire day. And, um, yeah, and they were just absolutely thrilled at how much work it saved them. But then you go back to they they ran out of flour in the long winter. And they've got these this little bit of grain left. And they're grinding it. You know that coffee handheld coffee grinder that you used to yep. take camping and it drove everybody nuts because it took 20 minutes not quite five minutes to yeah, grind. this is a really high-end zossen house stone coffee grinder yes but it took it probably f- seven ten minutes to grind enough coffee for a french press okay for a french press it was yeah i mean this is a single serve thing it was designed i bought it for a single yes serve thing. it's got this little wooden drawer that you look for an arrow press you know put it so in there. they they had something like that. It was actually a coffee grinder, but they ended up grinding grain for Ma to make bread over the long winter because they ran out of flour. And there were no trains coming and going because the trains were all snowed out. And so they would literally spend the, almost their entire day uh, either going crazy with boredom because they had like two magazines for as reading material in the entire house. And they, or Laura and Pa would twist strands of hay uh, in order to burn it because they ran out of firewood. And it's in their houses, literally two-story houses covered with snow. There's that much snow in the this South Dakota winter. But then they would also spend a long time grinding what little bit of grain they had left into flour to make bread for the day. Anyway, yeah, so... The, what we have going on today. I actually ran the dishwasher five times on Saturday. <clears throat> I was doing the, the one-hour cycle. That's ten... Oh, the one-hour cycle. The I was one like, hour that's cycle. ten hours of... But I I did... I'm trying to remember. That was the day I did the pork. So, and this goes back to the sausage bites thing. You guys, I was at Costco. I go once a month. And I give myself... I'm not going to tell you guys my budget for my Costco trip. Because you guys will choke... But, um, I, they had their big pork loins, which are a $1.99 a pound, which is a great deal for meat anyway. It's not 
organic or anything, but it's their their big loins are a dollar ninety nine a pound. Well, they had them at marked for five dollars off per package. So if you do some math on that, if it's fifteen dollars for dollar ninety nine a pound, what seven and a half pounds of pork, and you get five dollars off on that package, now you're down to seven and a half pounds of pork for ten dollars, which is like a dollar twenty for per pound for meat, which JR shoots the meat. He doesn't calculate how much it costs, but if you were to, if you're grocery shopping for meat, that's a screaming deal on literally any meat product that you could get in a store these days. So I bought eight packages of it. <laughs> and the smallest packages I could find. So anywhere between fifteen dollars and I think the cheapest package was eleven dollars. And then five dollars off of that was six dollars for like a six pound pork loin. And then I got home and had to do something with all of it. But the main reason I'd bought it was because we're hoping to have some wild game coming up here pretty soon. That And I like to grind, I, I like to use ground up pork, which at Winco, Costco, or Costco and Walmart don't sell ground pork. Winco sells it and it's about $4 a pound. So more than double what I paid for this pork loin. So I am hoping that when we have wild game, we can just grind the pork loin and mix it with the wild game and make sausage. But I didn't want to, Jarrah was working up at the cabin and gone, and I didn't want to wait to get the meat grinder all out and set up just for a little bit of pork grinding. So I just minced it up really finely in the food processor and cut it with some elk. And I did it primarily because I wanted to make breakfast sausage and then follow a recipe that I had found online. I made it for breakfast on Sunday and it was phenomenal. At least for me, all the kids ate it and Faith was a little iffy and then she tried it and she liked it. But it's, I used two pounds of cook, well, two pounds of breakfast sausage, cook it, drain it, cool it, and then mix it with a block of cream cheese and about a cup of flour and two cups of shredded cheddar cheese. Mix it up, put it in little balls on a baking sheet and bake it until the cheese on the outside is nice and brown and it's, oh, and like six eggs. I'll find the exact recipe, but six eggs were in there too. And then mix it up and they're just cheesy little sausage bites with a ton of protein. And if you were to use like coconut flour or almond flour, they would also be keto or really low carb. And... I have been looking for easy, fast for me, breakfast options that are really high in protein because I keep seeing these things online about how women, especially women, women, because of our hormones, our blood sugar regulation is more of a challenge for women than for men. And if we start off our day with something like 30 grams of protein, which is a ton. I think two eggs gives you like 12 grams of protein. doesn't even get close. So 30 grams of protein in the morning will help your body regulate your blood sugar for the entire day. Interestingly enough, it also helps your body regulate your appetite. I saw another study on Instagram 
where this guy fed college boys one first he fed them oatmeal for breakfast and then he put them in you know the in the end of craving where he talks about the lady doing the test Mm -hmm. with the flavorless sugar water and then putting them in this chamber that measures how much energy their body is expending and the metabolism firing up i don't know how that works but so apparently they can measure how your body is responding in terms of burning energy to food that you're metabolizing. Uh, so let me see if I can remember this straight. First he fed them oatmeal. Then he fed them steel and on another day, fed them steel cut oats. And on another day, fed them like sausage, eggs and sausage or something. Same amount of calories each day. So they're ingesting at breakfast the same amount of calories. Their blood sugar was 80%, like their blood sugar spike was 80% higher. No, that's not what it was. The 80% was calorie consumption later in the day. Anyway, the blood sugar spike that they had from the oatmeal was astronomical versus from the from the sausage. And then the other interesting thing was he they then measured how many calories these guys consumed during the rest of the day and they consumed 80% more calories if they had oatmeal for breakfast versus if they had protein for breakfast and he wasn't they said eat whatever you want eat when you feel hungry don't limit calories but they had the same number of calories at breakfast just one was protein heavy and one was basically pure carbs and it changed their appetite for the rest of the day that dramatically. I, I feel like I've been... Which is a bummer because our family loves oatmeal for breakfast. I feel like I've, I've now been relatively vindicated a little bit because you've kind of ignored my pleas for protein stuff for the last five years. or ten years. <laughs> I know. I, you know, see, I, work, I work out, I exercise, and traditionally... You know, you're paying attention to macronutrients, you know, your, your balance between protein, carbs, and fat, and you need a little bit of everything to survive. But by far and away, the average American diet is carbs way over diminished in protein, way too high in carbs, mm-hmm. and just most of the time, too high in fats. And so you try to, you try to change those. And, you know, common accepted practice still today with the science we have is that you should be consuming roughly your um, your body weight in in protein. So I should be consuming 200 grams of protein what? a day. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't really know how... I've literally never tracked any of my eating. I have, and it's... Why do you think I eat, I drink protein shakes and eat protein bars all the time because it's really hard to get that steak. many it's so hard to get that protein that in protein, your system it's also so here's the thing for me carbs are so easy to prepare getting up in the morning especially realizing that eggs don't even give you nearly as many as much protein as you should be starting the day with uh it is relatively easy for me to whip up a batch of muffins, whip up a batch of pancakes, whip up some waffles, make some toast from bread that I have already have going, make French toast, let the kids have cereal, let the kids have oatmeal. 
Those are the really easy breakfasts. They're also, other than cereal, the more economical breakfasts. It is challenging to make up a thing of sausage. So I have enjoyed and appreciated when Titus likes to mix up the bulk things of sausage, but it's still on me to get the ingredients, to help him measure it, make sure he's doing it right, and then to cook it, and then to preserve it, and then to get it back out in the morning. It's just a lot of work, and it's, quite frankly, just a lot more expensive to do a protein-heavy breakfast. But what besides all the studies that I've seen going on, I've been trying to track how I feel during the day for the last couple of, so I made this like a double batch of these sausage bites on Sunday morning. And by the time I get going in the morning, by the time I get the kids eating and then we're rushing into starting school, uh, because I still have not figured out a rhythm for educating four kids and not having it take all day or just not getting done what I had hoped to get done. So I, I have my cup of coffee and then I am actually one of those people, I never thought I would be one of those people, who doesn't think to eat until I'm jittery from hunger. And that can be an hour or two into school sometimes. And then it's just whatever is easy and fast. I'm not going to stop and make a high-protein breakfast for myself partway through the morning. So with these sausage bites, I made enough and then squirreled some away that the kids wouldn't eat. And I've been tracking how I feel. And I absolutely have less appetite the rest of the day. And interestingly, have less appetite for sugar. So... Uh, just don't see some of Lily's zucchini cake or some cookies sitting around and have the urge to nibble on them. And also, I don't have a big brain fog, tired crash in the afternoon. And I don't think I've changed anything other than making sure, and I'm probably not hitting 30 grams because, again, I don't have the energy to figure out tracking things. I just pop in like four of those sausage bites and hope that it at least know that it's fueling me better than not having them or just having the crust of my kids' toast or something. So anyway, I will send JR the recipe for the sausage bites and if you are like me and want to up your protein or have a really easy healthy breakfast. I would encourage you to make up a batch of them. I'm thinking they would probably freeze well, but that was not a problem in our house because we consumed them. What is when, today's Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. So we've eaten them. <laughs> it's like three pounds worth of sausage um, and all of the extras yeah, and I had, in I, four I, days. I need to clarify my statement a little bit. I had to brush up because it didn't sound right for a minute, but it's actually a lot closer. You probably won't ever hit your your desired body weight, like your target body weight. So I should be about, I should be somewhere between, healthily between 190 and 210. And I usually fluctuate between 205 and 220, usually somewhere in there. But so that means I should be hit trying to hit 180 grams of protein a day. Men's Health was just saying that you should be close, you should be, uh, you know, 1.2 to 1.6 grams of protein for every kilogram of your 
target body weight. So like if you're if you want to weigh 165, you should eat 90 to 120 grams of protein per day. But that's like I mean that's you're looking at f- over 50 grams of protein per meal. What kind of foods are going to give you 50 grams of protein per meal? I mean it just doesn't the, I, it's just not there. Yeah, I I just my gut reaction to that is has anybody in the history of humankind eaten like that? It feels like a modern American meat. they ate like that when they had meat. And then when they didn't, they were eating roots and berries for the rest of the winter. You know? I I, I didn't live there. I don't know. I know. I'm just I'm from what <laughs> I know of human history, it feels like a bit of a uh first world statement to say that you should be eating that in order to be healthy because I just can't even reading the book steak it was the really rich ones in like with where we're eating the aurochs right it was the queen that's painted on the wall of that cave in France eating the you know this Mm -hmm. massive now extinct Cow, you know, but it wasn't. But steak wasn't. Steak's cow. not a steak. Wasn't a delicacy. I mean, that's what people had. It's, it's what they ate, but they weren't. They weren't necessarily. Ra- they were hunting wild animals. They weren't cultivating them so that they had, you know, this many cows right. available to them. But like, so like now, whatever they wanted. Now, if I have, I can't remember what the pro- what's the protein of an egg? Six grams per egg. Three, I think so. Yeah, six grams yeah. per egg. So if I have three eggs. Uh, three eggs in the morning plus some elk sausage. And elk is really high in protein. I don't remember the exact number, but it's high. Um, and then you have like a, you know, 16 gram protein gram bar later in the day. That's usually pretty good. But even like this morning, I just had, I had three eggs. I had, um, what did I put? Oh, I butchered the pork. I put in probably half right. a cup of the Cause pork. Because I also, I used... Yeah, I made pulled pork and I cooked in a it into carnitas because I I cooked it into carnitas in the pan with butter and a little bit of olive oil, um, and that kept me that kept me really happy until dinner time, just in a in a tortilla. And obviously, there's a uh, substantial carb load in the tortilla, but I was also working outside all day. Um, so anyway, I you can there's this very safe bet, regardless of numbers, you can get in the numbers if you want. You're probably low on protein. Like everybody should pause and you should go put some lotion on. Because I'm scratching my arms? Yes, you've been scratching compulsively for like five minutes now. Sorry, the itch. I know, go put some lotion on. I think it's the, uh, I don't think it's the, uh, it's lotion. Um, I took a shower, but I was working with insulation all day. Oh, And the microfibers got in there. I'll try to stop scratching on the, on the show. Maybe if I ever get this new studio built, like my arms won't be... Inches. Right in front That's of the microphone. So Don't do that. Sorry. Don't do that. So you guys, well, Jr. was working up at at our cabin uh, over the weekend. I took the kids to their second concert in the span of a week. So on Saturday, the previous Saturday, we had gone to Top House in Butte, fabulous outdoor concert, and then Friday, six days later. We went to Rend Collective at a church here in town that was hosting them. And I think it was Eric in our uh, in our telegram group 
had posted a picture where he had gone... No, it was Davis. Did Davis go? Eric said he had almost gone to see them at a fair. I think Davis had gone to see Ren Collective. And um, let me, well, just let me look it up show. while you tell the story here. So, um, we... We love Ren Collective's music, uh, by and large. The kids were really excited to go. They sold several. It was just at a church, open seat, general admission. And I've been in this church for several funerals, and so I knew what the layout would be and that there, I didn't think there would be a bad seat in the house because it's not, it's not a massive thing, um... I was a little bit wrong on that because we we were about halfway back in the auditorium and Ren Collective stands up, gets up on stage and they're like, all right, everyone stand like this is a standing concert. And none of our kids except Titus could see anything <laughs> because unlike uh, like if we had been at Faith Chapel, this the auditorium is sloped and. Uh, or, you know, at most, um, I don't know, I'm thinking like the Babcock mm-hmm. Theater here yeah. in town or the Alberta Bear Theater. Right. It's There's a slight slope to it. Well, this was completely flat because it's a church, not a concert And venue. the kids couldn't stand on the chairs. Um, were there chairs it, to stand on? There were chairs to stand on. Faith stood on the chairs and still wasn't as yeah, tall as I was. Short. So that didn't help her at all. So I ended up holding her like... I could. I didn't want to put her on my shoulders because then she would have blocked everyone behind us. At least I let stand on the chairs, but she then, if she stood up on the chairs, was head and shoulders, literally head and shoulders above the average person. But it. So I made her lean over on the chair in front and kind of crouch down, which was obviously uncomfortable for a several hour concert. You just have to. You just have to. I, as a tall guy who goes to standing only concerts. You're always blocking somebody. You I, just say screw it and just block them. I know they can move. Like it, you don't have a choice. Anyway, I'm well, not you, well down. you weren't there. I know. So it I was know. me, and it they didn't sing a lot of songs that we knew in the first half, and so Faith and Elise spent a lot of time complaining that they were bored, and I was like, oh my gosh, why have I done this? We can't see, and we're bored, and we're up past our bedtimes. Great. Yeah. Uh, the second half, a lot of people. Towards the back of the auditorium, well, like in the second, the back half, kind of were, I think a lot of people were feeling the same way that we were, that I can't see whether I stand or sit, so I may as well just sit. <laughs> so, like the front, probably eight rows were all standing, and people just started sitting down behind them. So yeah. there were so many people sitting in front of us that we could actually see <laughs> during the second half because it was just like well, you know, so people would stand up for some of the shows, some of the songs that they knew and really loved, but then they would sit back down because truly it was. I I will say this with all due respect to the church that brought them in, I would not pay to see another show there because. The, I mean, the sound was great. They had, I don't know. I mean, from my, an experienced perspective, they had extra speakers, like, like 15 feet worth tall worth of extra speakers on both sides of the stage, like banks of speakers. Um, and so the sound, it was very loud. The kids were like, this is really loud. They were kind of in sensory overload. It was probably, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, but. <laughs> but my listeners of the technicalities. But, um. But because of the, you know, it's a church, it's not a, a concert venue, mm-hmm. 
And so the stage is not up high enough to be able to see with you standing up. And so I would not pay to go to a concert there probably again, unless it was someone that it would be on my bucket list to see them live just to be in their presence live, I guess, which I don't, I'm not that big of a fan of pretty much any musician, so I can't imagine whom that would be. Uh, but all I'm saying is I probably wouldn't choose to go to a show there again because it was so hard to see and so, so uncomfortable there. So uh, one of our other listeners, Andy, down in Salt Lake is going to, he's at... Um, right now, right? Yeah. What, Owl City. Owl City's concert right now. And I, my ki- Our kids are huge Owl City, City fans. And this is at a music venue. Um, and he did, uh, so we were, we talked briefly about going down to take the kids just to see Owl City. And, um, I was concerned for this very reason that you didn't like taking the kids to Ren Collective. Collective. It's the whole standing room only thing. Mm -hmm. And this particular show is standing room only. And he sends me a photo. He's like, wishing you were here. I was like, oh, that's cool. That looks like a nice venue. Pretty cool. He goes, yeah, my kids, uh, the kids are loving it. And he takes a a photo of the kids sitting down on the floor by his feet. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of other people standing around. And that's, I mean, that's I, that's, truly, that's what I was worried about at Top House. So when that's, it was... I was too. So when that, that turned out just delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, yeah, the standing room only thing, I, th- it, well, when I, when I took Tito to the Met, to the Metro to see Mammoth and Stone Temple Pilots and Blackstone Cherry with dad, um, we got seats, mm-hmm. and so we could see, we could sit, we could watch. There was standing room only down front. Yeah, but no, you know, it's Do like you pay more for the standing room only because you're closer. Um, generally, you would spend more for standing room only. Well, no, I think you end up spending a little bit more. Well, I've seen it go both ways because the seats are further away, but you seats sit, are further you away, but you're sitting. I've seen it, and you have reserved. Yeah, in the standing room only, you're like cramming. I've in. seen it both ways, honestly. Um, where ticket prices are the same or they're more for the floor mm-hmm. or more for the seats, depending on the type yeah. of venue. So that's a hard one. So the other thing that I didn't tell you, but you guys, Top House, the way... Did we talk Did we talk at all about the Top House show? Oh, we did last week. So, so they... I can't remember if we, if we discussed this, we? but towards... They, they're very funny. They're very nerdy, but in the best possible way. They and they the way that they talk to each other in between songs was sort of Saturday Night Live NPR mimicry style, and even though the kids our kids are way too young to have ever watched Saturday Night Live, let alone watched it when it was good, uh, they thought that their dialogue style was really funny, and the. My kids also memorized who was who. I can only remember that Will is the long-haired violinist. We have not talked about the Top House concert at all. Okay. So anyway, if you guys have a chance to see Top House live, uh, or if you're not familiar with them, look them up. We really enjoy their music. They're fun, upbeat. Although, funny enough, a lot of their upbeat-sounding songs they kept pointing out were about death. (laughs) And they would say it in a really funny way. But they put on a really good show. 
they they just really enjoy playing their music and they enjoy playing it for people and it's very obvious. And this was the venue we saw it out was called the Butte Depot in Butte, Montana, and it was we walked in. It's it's a parking. It was outdoors, so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It was a parking lot, and as and a couple of people had chairs, so I was like, let's go to the van and grab our camp chairs. So we set up all our camp chairs there in front of the stage, and uh, the my only my only was like frustration was like why did they keep so they had this area, an outdoor patio, big outdoor concrete patio, and they set, you know, raised up off the, you know, it's a little bit higher. So they put the band up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was higher, they had a railing all the way around. Probably was, because they have like parties and stuff. Right, exactly. And, well, I was looking at the railing and it looked like it could be taken out oh. and removed, but they left it up. Yeah. So it's like it had like this gate. You were watching all them my all my videos rail. and photos have like this gate in front yeah, of the band. It, that, like, yeah, God. that was unfortunate. Um, but they, here's, here's the thing. They were really thoughtful about their audience though, because at one point they they said, I feel like a lot of you guys want to be dancing, but all of the people who were in chairs up front, the people were thoughtful enough to not go in front of the chairs, even though there was a a fairly sizable gap between the chairs and the stage. So they asked if everyone would stay in the same configuration you know, they weren't asking, mm-hmm. they weren't trying to not create a situation where people who had arrived early and gotten better positioning were losing their ability to see, which was us and several other families with kids. And so they said, everyone just from exactly where you are, take three big steps forward. Yeah, just come closer and tighter into the stage and that brought everybody forward. Yeah, which was just so considerate of them, I thought. And the other thing that was very considerate of them and was towards the end it was about 10 probably 10 15 p.m and the piano player whose name i can't remember says okay here's how the rest of the night's gonna go down now at a normal show what would happen is the band would play a song they would say this is our last song and they would play a song and they would leave the stage pretend he kept saying pretend to leave the stage pretend to leave the stage well they actually leave the stage and then they make you like scream and holler for a few minutes and then they come out and they play a couple of songs that they'd always intended on playing anyway. <laughs> and he goes, so... What, which always makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Which makes us feel really uncomfortable. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pretend that the song that we just played was our last song. Now you all cheer for us for a few minutes, or for a few seconds. And then we're going to play two more songs. And then and then we're going to leave. <laughs> and that's it. We, You can scream and holler for as long as you want. We will be behind the merch table, and you can come visit with us, but we're done. <laughs> and my kids were kind of cracking up at it, and and then we go to Ren Collective, and the guy just very, very patently is like, so here's how the rest of the night's going to go down. This could be our last song. I've got a Buffalo, Buffalo Wild Wings order waiting for me. And sure enough, when we left... There was a Buffalo Wildlings delivery person in the <laughs> standing <laughs> in front of their tour bus with a bag full. So he wasn't kidding about the Buffalo Wild Wings. But he was like, So I could be eating Buffalo Wild Wings in three and a half minutes. Or after we do this, you guys, if you cheer hard enough, I'll eat Buffalo Wild Wings in 15 minutes because we've got two more songs for you. And the kids are like, Oh. This is what Top House doesn't like to do. They think that it's silly. And I was like, because it is silly. They've literally just said they intend to sing more songs. They're just going to manipulate the audience into cheering for them. There, um, really somebody, hard. 
there's somebody really famous like uh, Neil Diamond or Van Morrison or Eric Clapton. One of those really famous guys who was who said they like a lot of people go to the concerts really love it because he's like there is no encore at this show. I just gave you everything for an hour and a half. Yeah. That's it. You know, there's no encore. There's nothing left. You yeah. Know. Well, Ren Collective, they had a confetti cannon for their last, their last, last song. So it's like they weren't going to not come back and not shoot off the confetti cannon. <laughs> I, I actually find encores really irritating. I think some fans like it. You know, there's always a thing. Oh, there's always going to be two more. Like I remember as a kid when it was, it always felt like kind of exciting. Like, well, maybe the band hasn't played this song yet. They're totally coming back. Because you actually, when I first started going to concerts, like when I was Titus's age or whatever, I actually didn't know if the band was coming back. Yeah. You thought, oh, are they done? Are they really done? Yeah. But they now they all come back. Song. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Just, just play, play what you intend to play. Yeah. Be on. I mean, so for Top House, it was like, we're just being honest with our audience. Yeah. Here. Tell us you've like, got two more the... songs. It's it. Yeah. You know? Which, Lights by the come way, on, everybody goes home. two most famous songs in Titus was mapping with them he was like they're gonna play this song and then this song and he totally nailed it he was very proud of himself but anyway so i think top house in just laying out we don't do encores we think it's silly uh just has ruined encores for our kids now. (laughs) i mean as a year encores are silly eight-year-old elise is looking at me going like mouthing across the rogue, she was sitting down with my encore mom should actually be encores. Like you're done with your set, and the crowd's like raging. It's like, oh shoot, do we have another one? And I've seen that happen. I've seen like the small shows, like even the last tour I was on. The band, they, the fans legitimately wanted more. And they're like, uh. And I think at one point I don't know what band it was. Girl. No, one band came up and said we don't have we don't actually have any more. <laughs> Does somebody have something else they want to? And they took a cover, you know, type of thing. Uh-huh. But like, you know, there's part of it is you don't want the night to end if the experience is really good yeah. and stuff. But um, anyway, so that that's been our our musical experience for the last um, the last week. Um, the only other thing I have to talk about is. There was quite a bit of discussion on our Telegram page earlier in the week about small groups. That's what I wanted to talk about. And, yeah, and then JR was like, ooh, we should talk about this. And my immediate reaction was, no, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh, okay. And well, <laughs> uh, well, never mind then. Obviously. It's going to be a half hour show tonight. Good night, guys. <laughs> no, obviously. Wait, it's... cheer for us. We'll encore. We'll come back and talk for another 30 minutes. <laughs> We don't have anything else to talk about. Fine, we'll talk about small groups. No, there was actually also a lot of talk about uh, the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. And interestingly enough... But we we hit that hard the last hit, episode. No, no, no. I'm just going to add yeah. for you. I'm not talking to them. I'm just literally just talking to you right oh. now. I pulled out a very old copy of World Magazine in the bathroom when I was cleaning it. And it fell open to a page. I, I think it was. That's the Holy Spirit action right there. Cheney, Janie, Jane Cheney, Jean. Ch- I don't know. Whoever the Janie columnist Chaney is, his was. last name is Cheney, with uh, World. I think she had something on the Sabbath. And then there was a review. It was, this is from a World magazine from last summer. A review of a book about the Sabbath 
that I thought, oh, if I had my phone in here with me, I would mark this on Amazon as something to order. But anyway, remind me to go find that World Magazine and I'll find you a book on the Sabbath. Because it was... Uh, Why do I need a book on the Sabbath? Because I've been called out as wrong on Telegram? No. People disagree you, with me? No, because you... My interpretation is poor? Uh, No, because it's a topic that you seem really passionate about and something that you might be interested in... Fair. Growing in okay, good. All right. scriptural checking. depth and just being Because I'll probably say something about small groups that somebody's going to disagree with tonight, too. Probably. <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. I mean, I will say this with utter confidence and only mildly tongue-in-cheek. I think that you might say something about the Sabbath that other people would disagree with. Or no, not the Sabbath, about uh, about small groups. But I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> and it's not because wow. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, but it's because because I have a divinity degree from <laughs> Westminster. Mm-hmm. I have an extremely high opinion of myself and my opinions. <laughs> no, actually, where my thoughts went when I was thinking about small groups is I actually okay for one thing the way. The modern American church has the reason small groups have arisen is because we are trying to handle something about modern life and culture that that we have lost organic connectivity. And so we are fostering environments where we are creating artificial environments, so to speak, to foster the sort of relationship and community that's been lost by virtue of living in close quarters with both family and people, your neighbors, with whom you also worshipped. Um, that, that was the early American life. You went to the church that was closest to you because you were walking to it or riding your horse and buggy. And so, so when I was in, when I worked, when I went to church in Philly, the first church that I went to for the first two years that I was there, it was, the church was probably 15 minutes from where I lived, which was on campus at the seminary. We had people driving from at least 45 minutes from every direction in the greater Philly area. So we had people coming from the downtown driving up north. We had people coming from the north driving down to the south. We had people coming from the west and from the east, which meant that even to have a youth group, a parent is driving their kid 45 minutes into the church for what, an hour, hour and a half evening, and then driving them back 45 minutes on a weeknight. And so there was virtually no, no youth group because there were, there were several reasons, but one of the reasons that I experienced, there was virtually no youth group because the kids couldn't afford and their parents couldn't afford investing the time to drive their kids all over the city because they had chosen this particular church based on whatever, whatever criteria they had for choosing a church 
But that is a set of criteria that is so unique to, is such a first world issue. To choose a church that you can luxuriously drive in the air conditioning 45 minutes to because you like that pastor's preaching or you grew up in that church and you're choosing to go back to it or you have family there or you just like that worship style or the church also meets in the school building that your kids go to or whatever it is. Uh, No other time that I can imagine in across the world or across history do we have the luxury of separating our community of faith from the rest of our community. And so we have to have this artificial way of creating the necessary thing of community. And so whatever way we do that, which you know, whatever way we choose to do that, and we call it small group, even though it looks like a lot of different things, um, it's always going to have shortcomings because it's not organic. So I guess that's my preliminary comments. Yeah, no, I think you guys, you're, uh, we are mostly on the same page. But now you're um, going to say something wrong. No, I was trying to figure out where you were going with that. <laughs> but I probably will say something that somebody disagrees with. That's fine, whatever. Um, I... I would agree in the fact that, how do I say this? So in a perfect world, people have been gathering together to, to worship and live out community of faith throughout history. And, you know, in Hebrews and all of Paul's letters to the churches, you know, it's, it's everything is written around the concept of building each other up and living out faith with each other and, and living fulfilling your christian call your obligation your life in christ with others you can't not you have to be in community okay you can even the law of christ right and you can even take this all the way back to the trinity like god's relationship with himself is also a a communal relationship father Mm -hmm. son and holy spirit so we're modeling that in this whole thing um where it all falls apart in every single context that I've ever been in. And I've led small groups. I've been involved in small groups. I'm currently in a small group. Um, it always falls apart because that community you're involved in is never your number one community. It's never the community of, it's never your, the people you fall, it's rarely the people you fall back on. It's not the people you interact with every day. It's you see them once for here, you discuss your thing, and you go home. Um, there was a comment on, on Telegram about, uh, he said, you know, I, I despise talking about, you know, doing sermon recap in small groups. And I understand the motivation behind, and I'm, I'm generally in agreement. I understand the motivation behind uh, sermon recap. Like, okay, let's discuss this and... and See if we can encourage each other to, uh, you know, provide perspective and apply each other, apply it to each other's lives and stuff. But I mean, I I love my Wednesday morning group because yeah, we're studying something together, but it's a lot of it's living life together. What challenges we're facing, mm-hmm. what we're doing together, we know each other. Um, if there's something that comes up, I know I can count on these guys to be there. And I was reflecting. I've been reflecting a lot on uh, Pete made a comment last time we were up in Whitefish about community. Kalispell. Yeah, and he, Kalispell. And he said, my first responsibility 
you tell me my first responsibility is my neighbors if things go sideways you know can i trade meat with my neighbors can they provide something can we because this is my this is where i live this is my community going back to your comment um which, you know, used your, which used to be with synonymous with your community of faith and yeah, was often exactly. also your family. Um, and it was just like, man, I don't like, I don't have that. You know, my neighbors, I see them every now and then, which is a uniquely American thing. Um, but I, in a perfect world, that small group is your, you know, I kind of see a church, uh, church community as kind of concentric circles. You know, the nucleus is is me and my family, my immediate family, my wife, my kids. Uh, moving out from that, if you have parents, you know, you've got your parents or any family members. Out from that, I would probably place um, my small group. Like my small group would be the next concentric, or the next closest people in my world speaking into my life or speaking into theirs. Outside of that, it's my local church. You know, and it's like in America now, Everything's so disconnected that it just becomes an activity. So largely, unfortunately, I think most small group efforts, uh, this is where people are going to screw with me, kind of fail on the outset just because, you know, it becomes an activity. You're not, those aren't the people that are speaking into your life. Yes. I, I agree with you in some ways, but where I would push back on that comment is, is it, I think that small groups... Like when we went to, to the Bozeman church and the pastor at the closing said, uh, I, I would really, you know, beginning the school year, he's saying, I would encourage you guys to sign up to be placed in a small group because that's where community happens. If you have a larger church, you come and you see all these people who look like they know each other and who look like they have, you know, they're having fun together and they're connecting and this is like a family reunion on a Sunday morning and you stand on the outside and you go, I don't know any of these people. Like I say hi to them, introduce myself, it's in one ear and out the other and they don't recognize me next week. Which which is not, I've had that experience in churches before. Especially if you're single because churches tend to be so family oriented that they just, people just do not connect with single people. And small group becomes a way of bringing in new people because a church absolutely should not be an exclusive insider club. And a small group is a way of onboarding new people into just giving them a chance to even get a foothold in forming community. Um, and so I think that if churches are active in integrating people into small groups and pushing you know, if you're new here, the best way to actually feel like you belong is to be in a place where you're so, so, so here's the, where my thoughts went thinking about small groups was not so much the nature of the small group itself, which was kind of covered and can be problematic in some ways, but just the nature of you and by you, I mean just the, anyone, being a friend, seeking friendships, and how you lean into God when you're not getting what you want out of friendships. And a couple years ago, probably right about the same time we started this podcast, actually, I spoke at a women's retreat, 
And one of my sessions was on friendship. And I did a really deep dive into a couple of different writers. The three main ones were Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, and Bonhoeffer. And I Keller had gleaned a lot from Lewis, but I loved Keller's. He had done a set of a sermon series that, gosh, now that I'm bringing it up, I'm going to have to be able to find it to share it with people. And I have no idea how I'm going to do that. It's not going to happen tonight. (laughs) But probably somewhere, golly, somewhere I at least have the digital copy of what I wrote for this talk, I'm sure. You wanted to record it at one point. I did want to record it at one point. Uh, But... If I recall correctly from the things that Keller said, and he's speaking to his own church, and he's saying, first of all, you have to recognize, as we've just discussed, that you were made for a relationship. You cannot say, I'm an island, I don't need relationships. If you do that, that's the C.S. Lewis, put your heart in a box to protect it, and it withers and dies. You, you're either... There's something wrong in your heart if you think that you don't need relationship and it's hurting you. And so you need to look inside and figure out what it is that's making you think that you don't need real relationship. And then he says, what the thing that really struck me, he says, there's one of two reasons that you m- maybe are in a season of not having the sorts of relationships that you long for, that you wish you had. One of them is that God may be in a season of pruning you. That And and I think we have talked about this, maybe not in these terms before, but where you go through seasons of loneliness, even when you're surrounded by people, of just feeling like you're not connecting with people, people are uh, looking past you, they're too busy for you, What for whatever reasons, you're... you're in a suffering that people are not recognizing or that you don't feel free to share with others or that just is, is your own burden to bear. And, and, and God very possibly has brought you away from those close relationships so that you're relying solely on him so that you grow in your faith, you grow in your patience, you grow in your trust you grow in your reliance on him and him alone as the source of all you need of your comfort, your strength, all the things that David talks about when he's really leaning into God because he's been abandoned by, not just been abandoned, betrayed by his closest friends. So that's one option. God may have you here. If that is the case, lean into it. Don't resent it. Seek where you can grow in trust in the Lord in relationship with him. The other reason you might be in a season of not having great friends is because you're not great friend material. <laughs> and so, and Keller just goes... You really are a dick. Well, I mean, there's that. <laughs> Keller just goes for that. Like, are, are you actively seeking friendships? If you feel like people are ignoring you and you're suffering, are they aware that you're suffering? Or do you expect them to read your mind? Or are you dropping hints? Instead of being more clear about what you could really use from your friends in this season. Are you reaching out to them or do you just expect people to come to you? And then the other place that Keller goes with this is, are you the 
type of person who's actually interesting as a friend. <laughs> and he says, you know, if somebody engages in conversation with you, do you have things to talk about that are interesting? Are you, gr- in other words, are you growing enough as a person? Are you reading things? Are you engaging your mind? And um, both Aristotle and C.S. Lewis talk about things like this. You know, C.S. Lewis has the famous, a friendship is born when you your soul says, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And you have this moment of connection with somebody that only happens when you're engaging over something substantive. And so, so actually get your brain engaged in things that are substantive. Don't be the sort of person that when someone comes to talk, you know, tries to talk to you and to be friendly to you, that you are so uninteresting, (laughs) they they can't sustain a good conversation with you. Uh, And I've met people like that. So, so have I, but it's also a challenge to me it because I've, when I was preparing this talk, I actually had a couple of people in my mind with this particular topic. I wasn't speaking to them, but they came to mind as there was one gal who who was really bitter at a small group that I had been at years before because she had been very sick. She had autoimmune issues, had been very sick, and nobody in the small group had reached out to her. And she came and just unloaded on us. And we all just sat there kind of slack-jawed because none of us knew that she was homebound sick. She just hadn't been in a small group for a couple of weeks but hadn't told anybody why. And we were supposed to know how how miserable yeah. she was. And, and so that, you know, I was thinking of her, but also how do I expect other people to meet my own needs if I'm not articulating them and reaching out and also being regular enough at something in somebody's life that if I drop off the radar, they A, notice, and B, care. Um, but, but yeah, don't just have your mind engaged. You also need to have it engaged about things that are interesting to other people, which incidentally is rarely you. <laughs> you know? mm, imagine that. So be able to talk about things that are not you, that are not your children, that are not complaining about things, which, you know, is kind of the modern American woman like right there. What's a modern American dude? Like the first thing we do is like, man, how's your week? And you just start complaining about things. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's everybody. Yeah. So, you know, what are what are you reading about? What are you listening to? What have you done lately that's interesting? That actually makes you better friend material. And I think that that's one of the strengths of small groups that have some sort of subject matter. They're not just meeting, but they're right. meeting to discuss things whether it's the sermon or whether it's a book and all of that, you can quibble over that literally until Jesus returns. Unless the world goes to hell and we're all relying on our neighbors and our neighbors come to the Lord and we're worshiping in our houses with small groups of neighbors because there's no gasoline and we're just walking to each other's houses (laughs) and there's no radio. So we're just reading our Bibles together and discussing what it means. You know, un- unless that situation happens in modern America, we will quibble about small group specifics until Jesus returns. Right. And I was all I was saying is like, there's an ideal that I have that fails. And what you you what you brought up is a different model, a different point, purpose of the small group outside of like, this could be the ideal that you hinted at at the very beginning. That's all that was. Yeah. Yeah. You're. Yeah. You brought up something totally different, and that works. Like that's needed. Um, 
I mean, it's terrifying for the introverts, I guess, but even introverts need relationships, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a very deep introvert. I... <laughs> I'll just tell you this. You guys, Jerry and I are teaching third grade at our class, at our church on Sunday evenings, and... Uh, there are people who believe that the full moon like messes with energy levels of kids and makes them crazy and there's a full moon in two days these kids were like literally army crawling under the tables tonight eating popcorn off the floor i mean i mean okay there's some there's some context though they were army crawling because we had them do Olympic sport no, no, no. charades. The army crawling was during the popcorn. It was and later. then and then they were eating popcorn off the floor because you asked them to pick up the popcorn they dropped on the floor while they were eating. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I just they were. I actually thought they were less crazy than the two weeks Did ago you? when I was there. Okay, because yeah, I I don't know if you noticed. We had this. a couple. We have a couple third graders that just kind of wander in circles around the room. It's like sit down, <sighs> sit down, stop playing with that. Sit I down. don't know what it was about tonight though. I like I could not make eye contact with a single adult when I came upstairs. I just had to go outside and stand by the truck because I was in such sensory overload from an hour with ten third graders. I feel so disconnected now with not having like the Wednesday thing. Like I just feel disconnected from everybody. Because there's no and time to there's stand no time to there's no time you don't talk to anybody. You come down, yeah. you come early, teach the kids, and then you're done. You're kind of fried. You're like shell shocked a little bit. Like okay, yeah, I that didn't. Was good. I literally did not make eye contact. It's a little bit like today. I, I referred to it. I asked Molly. I was like, were they? It was last week because so. I was gone last week um, being up at the cabin. So I said, it was last week a little bit like wrestling still? She's like, oh yeah, it definitely was. It's like, oh man. I feel like for me this week was harder than last week. And I don't know if it's just... But I I had a 45 minute Zoom meeting this morning. Mm-hmm. An almost two and a half hour Zoom or two hour Zoom meeting this afternoon. And then, and then did this. So I basically was on. And then that was with teaching the kids in between all of those times. So it was, it was a long people eat day for me. Molly so anyway, does important things and I don't do anything important. No, all that, all that to say, I, um, you said that, that small grouping is hard for introverts. And here's, here's the deal though. If, if you are blessed, if you are an introvert and you are, you have to go make small talk with a group of people that you don't have a real connection to. Yes, that is miserable. If you are an introvert and you can go to a legit small group, not, I mean, we were, <laughs> we were in a small group for a, a number of years and we all just kept having babies. And so <laughs> it was like, I, I, maybe 10 adults and like 30 kids. It was wild. And it, it started out as maybe 10 adults and 10 kids. <laughs> and we just, all, I mean, I'm pointing the finger at myself here. We all just kept having babies, and it was bonkers. Um, that's not that's hard for an introvert because of the sensory sensory overload thing. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, it, modern introverts will beg off on relationship in the name of being introverted, and that's not good for your soul, and it's a cop out. Because just because you're introverted doesn't mean you can't and shouldn't be in real relationship with people. And if you're in a true, if you're in, if you're blessed to be in a small group where you have some of those, what you two, I thought I was the only one relationships, which should be the, ideally that 
they're oriented over the word because that's oh that's the other thing you were saying you know it's this disparate group of people and they're not your number one group of people but what's so cool and unique about the body of christ Mm -hmm. is you don't choose it's not a family that you choose god chooses the body of christ and he places you in a family and if you are the pinky finger or the kneecap that's what you are you know you don't choose what kind of vessel you are and you don't choose the others who were placed in the body with you and because of the perfect unity and diversity of the trinity we can aspire to unity do you know what i'm talking about you raised your eyebrows like that you were you were the one who referred to the Trinity as a relationship, so the Trinity. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh. You're missing. You're misreading my. Oh, okay. I'm just following you. I'm... Okay. Anyway, yeah. you know, so to follow on on that thought, you know that the Trinity is the perfect model of unity and diversity because there's three, who are different, three persons, mm-hmm. but are perfectly unified, and so we then that gives us the both the model and the ability to strive for unity with all of the various diversity that we have in the body of Christ. And so to say, oh, that person's really different from me, I'm never going to connect with them in a small group, is, um, is not giving God the opportunity to work in a way that he might well choose to work. He also might not. And then you just love someone who's different than you and suffer through a season (laughs) of small group where you're just trying to be faithful and trying to connect and um, wait for the Lord to move in your life to move into something different. But I think that there's a, a prideful presumption when we complain about modern American small groups because we don't real, you know, that because of the cultural context where we are. And then also because we're so consumeristic, we're possibly also approaching like, well, that group didn't really, you know, I'm going to bounce around groups and we ourselves have bounced around groups. So I'm not, you know, necessarily saying that's the wrong thing to do, but it should be carefully thought out Yeah. and done. I wouldn't say we, we didn't, I, I wouldn't say we bounced around in small groups when we did, when we did switch, mm-hmm. um, it was like, two switches were to start new small groups and one switch where I think we just full on took a break yeah that's true because of the 30 kids oh my gosh <laughs> primarily we but have a small group in our we have a small small group in our own home <laughs> but for an introvert it's an ideal size uh, so anyway that's just thinking you know when I when I myself feel prone to complain about church community um my the repenting that i often need to do is well are you reaching out to other people and are you do you think more highly of yourself than you ought in terms of how people around you should be looking at you and treating you and valuing you and are you humbly waiting on the lord to work in his time and in his way recognizing that you're in a fallen world right now but also god is call ultimately calling you into relationship with himself and sometimes he's going to strip things away until you really are seeking him or even if you are seeking him he has different purposes that you may never know yeah it's, i was having a well 
I'll close the show with this personal reflection here too. Um, I was having this conversation with a, with a string of guys that um, I've been, you know, trying to connect with at church and um, made the comment that's really hard. Like guys just don't really get together. Um, and that's been, it's when you do reach out, my point is when you do reach out and you still don't <laughs> make any headway. But that said, I had a really good evening. Uh, one guy showed up and uh, the other night and we had a really great it was a really good evening getting to know somebody new and uh, kind of what makes him tick and all those things so yeah I don't know you just do what you can do the best you can anyway that said guys um, we've talked a lot about this telegram group that is by far and away the number one way to uh, get a hold of us um, or uh, talk about the show anything else you can do that by clicking the link in the show notes. It's a private group, and uh, there's about 50, 60 other members, and I'd probably say maybe half or just under half are fairly active. And like I said, like we've discussed here, the conversations really range. So it's a great place to hang out and uh, foster a little community, a little non-church community with uh, some really good people. So uh, if you also, you can go to our website, www.toobusytoflush all grammatically correct or tb the number 2f.com and scroll all the way down and send us a postcard on the website while you're there you can order yourself a t-shirt or a hat or a sticker and uh, show us some love um, I think that's it no noticeable uh, product placements um, in the show notes so no links there but uh, I'll try to grab the sausage um, sausage recipe, recipe from, and throw that in there. So. Other than that, same. Hopefully, we'll talk to you guys next week.